the Jim Lord movement. Um, my stage name is Jim Lord, J-I-M Lord. It stands for Jesus is my Lord. And so we have started a movement. We're building a team. Um, <clears throat> we are literally building a team uh, around the country. And, and right now, um, I'm working with people in Harrisburg, which I'll be in on the 5th of November. Um, a few people in Virginia, where we are creating a model where um, we are going to essentially disciple people. Um, and we're going to use music and arts and all that stuff as the means to do it. But this is a for-profit uh, venture, though. This is not a ministry. It's a for-profit venture. Um, like I was sharing uh, with Cynthia a moment ago, um, I have been praying to God about finances. Lord, we need more. <laughs> and God, you know, God put this on my heart. You have so many gifts and talents and things inside of you that if you would just focus on those a little bit more, be a little more intentional, I will bless you to put things in place for your children. And that's how it came apart, came uh, to me. And so over the last couple weeks, uh, months, I've been more intentional about getting some things going. And so I have some CDs here. This is very good quality music, um, mastered and everything. Now the packaging is, may not be what you would find inside of a Sam Goody store or one of those, but this is real quality music. These CDs are $5. If you like to purchase, I have them for you. I've actually brought 10 copies. Um, it's also online. You can actually purchase my music on uh, iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, uh, and a, a lot of different music retailers. Um, it's actually uploaded. Where you can go on iTunes, look for Jim Lord, the title of the project is titled What Up World. On, online, it's $8 because there's eight tracks. You can either purchase the whole uh, project or you can purchase singles for $0.99. Cent. So, um, and finally, uh, one more thing about that. Uh, I have this sign-up sheet. If you would like to sign up to get more information about Jim Lord and, and what we're doing and how you can be a part of the movement or just to get information, you can... Uh, you can Get that after service. So, got that out of the way. You know, I'm preaching home. Like, oh, I got some books here. Yeah, 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 okay. We got some materials for you in the back. So, my books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 4. The title of this little session is God of the Heart Change. God of the Heart Change. And so when Michael had emailed about doing this and was looking for people to share and ideas and et cetera, uh, this is one of the things that came to my heart. And I said, hey, man, I would love to speak on this. But I just want to put this out there. I didn't want to speak on worship because I'm just the greatest worshiper that Jesus ever created. Or, or I, have all the, I, I have all the answers to worshiping. And if you just want to know how to get in the presence of God, just come to me. It's, the reason I wanted to talk on this is because learning how to worship changes my life. And it has changed my life. When I think of worship, I think of four words. The presence of God. I think of the presence of God. 
And it has been the presence of God that has really changed my heart. It has changed my life. And I enjoy being in the presence of God. Um, my upbringing was not a Christian one. There were a lot, it was a lot of pain, a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt. I was exposed to some things at a very early age. Uh, by the time I was a teenager, um, I had gotten into a lot of trouble in school. I was getting into a lot of trouble. And um, I had been suspended from school quite often for fighting. Now, not because I was a bully, but uh, I've learned over the years is because I had a lot of anger inside of me. And it was a lot of different things going on. You know, I'm 41 years old. I've never met my biological dad. That doesn't give me a license to go around and be angry, but just saying that that was part of it because the identity piece, you know, young males looking for identity, you know, you want somebody to speak into your life and you need that voice of reason. So I always didn't have that. I would get into trouble. <clears throat> and so uh, I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of hurt. Uh, as a teenager, um, I was raised uh, pretty much by both parents, mother and, well, not both parents, but mother and grandparents. My grandparents stepped in and, and helped my mom and her and all her, her other uh, children raise their kids. And so essentially, I grew up with my grandmother. My grandmother raised all of the grandkids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we would be there. And so I'd be with my mom. I'd be with my grandmother and saw a lot of stuff, got involved in a lot of stuff. And when I was about 14 years old, my grandmother, I started talking about suicide and I just wanted to end my life. I'm tired. I'm going to kill myself. You know, all this other kind of stuff. Grandmother took me to a psychiatrist. I had to lay down on the couch and talk about all this other kinds of stuff. And so at the age of 18, February 4th, 1993, I gave my life to Jesus. And um, I gave my life to the Lord. Uh, it, the Holy Spirit was drawing my heart. He had been working on me. I know this now. But somebody had gave me a track to read probably about six months prior to that. And I gave my life to Jesus. And I immediately began to fall in love with the Lord because from the first day of my salvation, he blessed me with his presence. You ever been in the presence of God and just the tears just kind of fall and just you, you there. I, I, I know that there was a transferring of the burden that was on my heart. Like I literally felt that. And so I got hooked. I was finally hooked on something right, okay? And so I, I, I just began to, you know, God, I want more of your presence. And I found that the more I get into God's presence, the stronger I am, the more confident I am. Uh, I'm, I'm able to walk in faith. I'm able to trust him. You know, my wife and I, uh, who have been married for 18 years, uh, we left Virginia couple years ago and went to Charlotte to plant a church. And um, unless you have uh, $150,000 to $200,000, which a lot of church planters get that, um, unless you have that and all kinds of support, it's difficult to plant a ministry. But God has been faithful to us. Uh, but it's been a roller coaster sometimes. In fact, at the beginning of this year, I was ready to call it quits just about. I was like right there at the edge. I mean, you know, this is the funny thing. I was speaking with a friend of mine as a pastor. He said, OK, I just have one question to ask you. Did Jesus tell you to do it? And I said, no, Jesus didn't tell me. He said, well, you, you can't quit a call. 
<laughs> you know, if you're called to do something, you just can't say, well, Jesus, that's it. I'm done. And so, um, you know, but what, what helped me to really understand that was being in God's presence and allowing Jesus to encourage my heart and to, you know, build me up and to remind me of what life is really all about. And so I wanted to share with you on this subject of God of the heart change. And as, as you turn to the text, I, t- I tell you John chapter 4. I want you to turn to John chapter 4. I'd like to ask you a few questions. First, what kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart do you think you have? What moves you deep in your heart? What does your heart hunger for? What or who settles your heart? What is taking up residence in your heart? Sometimes we can have hearts that are full of faith. I saw that not too long ago, and I've been praying that for the last few months. I saw saw someone was say that somewhere, pray and ask God to give you a heart full of faith. And so I've literally been praying, God, give me a heart full of faith. Give me a heart full of faith. Sometimes we can have hearts that are full of worry and it's seen in how we live. Have you ever seen someone or met someone that you can, they they are a a worry wart, as they say, and you could just see it in how they live. Uh, Sometimes we have hearts that are longing for something. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever met someone or saw someone that had a heart that, or they were longing for something in their heart? Can I tell you that whatever the condition of your heart is, today you can take another step towards allowing Jesus to possess all of your heart because that's what I believe Jesus Christ is after. He's after every room in the home of our hearts. You've heard this before, a preacher tell you that you know how we say, Jesus, you can have this room, this room, and this room, but don't go in this room over here. I don't want you to even, I got this, I got this room padlocked. I got the doors nailed shut. You cannot get in here. But Jesus wants to get into every room of our hearts so that he can change our hearts. Now, I shared with you a few minutes ago a little bit about my past. Now, I have the incredible peace of God. I can, I walk in the peace of God. There are a lot of things that don't I'm not afraid of. I'm not afraid of any man on the face of this earth. Not because I'm a big man and I don't care and I'm all this other kind of this macho stuff, but because I literally walk with the presence of God in my heart or the, the peace of God in my heart. And I really believe, God, you've got me. You've got me. I also believe in praying and being discerning in situations. You know the kind of things that scare me? Uh, uh, when, when, when I call my home and my kids are home by themselves and nobody picks up the phone. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, and I'm calling again. They're not picking up the phone. Do we need to turn around and go back? Then nobody's picking up the phone. She's not answering her cell phone. She's not answering. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent. But those are the type of things that kind of get me going, you know. But, and I'm, be, I'm, I'm a comic too. So, you know, part of, some of my preaching has some comedy in it. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be funny as well. This is a tough crowd up in this joint, boy, but it's <laughs> all so, But seriously, though, I have the peace of God in my heart, and God has changed that, and he's continually changing that. And so I want to talk to you about giving Jesus full command of your inner heart and allowing him to change you from the inside out. A lot of times we want the Lord to do this quick work. We always, you ever heard a prophecy, God is going to do a quick work in you. You ever hear anybody say that? 
I've heard that. I've heard that so many times. What does that mean? A quick work? God is like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't know what quick is. I'm in eternity. I, I don't have anything. A, a quick work to God could be a hundred years because, you know, he's not bound by time. So somebody say, I see the Lord's going to do a quick work in you. Okay. And God is like, yeah, 50 years. You're going to be like Moses. You're going to go sit back on the backside of a mountain somewhere and just let it just kind of stew inside of you. And so I want to talk to you about allowing the Lord to change you from the inside out. So in John chapter four, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman. And the text suggests that the woman is getting a little sassy with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus shares some of her own. Uh, Jesus shares some of her own personal information with her, and she concludes that he's a prophet. And then we pick up with this conversation in John chapter four. Now I have the Message Bible because I love the way the Message Bible reads this. This is what Jesus says: "It's who you are, and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth." That's the kind of people the father is looking for. Those who are simply and honestly making themselves before. I'm sorry, honestly, uh, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself spirit. And those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The key to developing a heart that is infused with pure worship unto the Father is simply this, yielding to God's spirit and allowing him to guide us into truth. The truth, what what truth? This truth right here, the truth about who we are, the truth about where we are, the truth about who he is, and the truth about who he's shaping us to be. And as we accept the truth and walk in it, But what happens is we begin to live a life of worship unto God, because sometimes we think worship is worship is Sunday morning, lifting your hands to the Lord. Now, I'm in a room full of worship directors and singers, and I don't think I'm picking on you. But, you know, we say worship. Oh, lift your hands to the Lord. Worship the Lord. You know, the the word worship in the Bible, it has a couple of different meanings in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the word worship came from a word that meant to lay prostrate before God. That's what it used. The Hebrew word was prostrate. So when it would say they worship, it literally meant they got down on the ground and they worship. They put their face in the ground as to say, you are better than me. I honor you, etc. In the New Testament, the word worship comes from a word that means to kiss towards. And the Greek language, which is, which is very uh, colorful, the picture of it is a dog licking his master's hands. Like, I just love you. I just want to be with you, Lord. I just, I kiss towards you, Lord. You're my all. I love you. That's what worship is. Worship, so worship is not just relegated to me on Sunday, lifting my hands to the Lord and and saying, oh, I worship God. That might be where it starts, right? But true worship is our lives, and how we express our lives to God. Like Jesus just said, those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. And so as we accept Christ's truth and walk in it, what happens is we begin to emit an aroma of authentic worship. Doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we're aiming to please God. It doesn't mean that we have any struggles. Anybody struggle some? Am I the only one in here? We all struggle sometimes, but guess what? We press forward 
We make mistakes, but we repent and we get back up. Can I tell you that this is a heart of worship? That's a heart of worship. When we think of a heart of worship, we think of, we think of something that's so pretty and polished and sacred. Oh, we worshiped up in there today. The worship was so good. That's what we think of when we think of something that's authentic. But can I tell you, Scripture gives us example after example of people who, out of brokenness, worship Jesus from a place of rejection. They worshiped the Lord, had been cast out, but still worshiped Jesus. And as they did, he performed what I call inner heart surgery. They worshiped him from a place of brokenness, uncertainty, and sometimes fear. But they list, they worship, listen to this, from a place of who they were. And that's where I want to get to today. Who are you? Where are you struggling? Where are you having a hard time? Do you feel like God doesn't accept me because I have this little bit of doubt? I have to run from him. No, worship him where you are. I have this addiction. I have this bondage. I'm kind of struggling right here. I'm kind of going through this. Lord, I struggle with discouragement. I struggle with depression. Lord, I'm having a hard time believing you. Worship where you are. Don't wait until you feel like you're so clean and, 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 oh, now I'm in the Sunday morning with the assembly of the saints. Now I can worship. No, you can worship right where you are. You can worship in your car. Just keep your eyes on the road. Or you might meet Jesus. You might be worshiping for a minute. Then the next minute you're like, Jesus, you're here. I didn't know. Are you in my car? You're like, no, you're up here with me. <laughs> your car is in that ditch right there. That's what you're but you can worship wherever you are. And this is my heart today. I want to encourage you to worship where you are in the difficult places where it's lonely, where it's tough, where nobody likes to go. Everybody, man, everybody wants this, this great thing. We want these great experiences and we want to live on the mountaintop. I heard a beautiful saying the other day that was so powerful. They said, you may not be on the mountaintop and you may be in the valley, but at least you're not buried there. So you might be in the valley, but guess what? At least, at least there's not a headstone down there and you're buried down there. Guess what? You're still walking through the valley. You're still pressing in and God will draw you. God is not, God is not saying, oh, I'll receive your worship. I'll receive who you are. I'll listen to your prayers. I'll answer that prayer. I'll give that dream to you once you do this, this, and this. Now, we do have to follow Jesus. I'm not saying that we can just sin and live how we want and then expect God to bless our mess. But God says, if you follow me, you don't have to be perfect. Worship me where you are. Because, see, as we worship Jesus where we are, it draws us closer to him. You know, you ever notice how people in, people in the Bible that weren't like Jesus really liked Jesus? <laughs> they really liked him. They were nothing like them. They were sinful, prostitutes and thieves and all kinds of people that had did all kinds of acts. But they were drawn to him. They wanted to be like him. They would worship him. They loved him. It was something, it was something about him. And as they did it, then they were drawn closer to him. They were drawn closer to him. Step by step, they'd get closer to him, and then he would use them. Sometimes it's man that says, well, before you get here, you have to be here. 
Well, before you can do this, you have to establish this. And we need order. We need plans. We need all of that stuff. But nothing can stop you from worshiping God wherever you are. There's a term in theological circles, missio dei. Anybody ever heard that before? Missio dei. It's Latin, and it's translated this, the mission of God or the sending of God. This is the idea of Missio Dei, that even before the church, God was working in the earth. That's biblical, and that's true. Before Jesus Christ established the church, there were still people in the Old Testament that God would use. The, the, the idea of Missio Dei is essentially this, God saying, I don't need you to reach people. I don't need you. You know the story in Acts where the Bible says that uh, 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 the man, uh, they caught Peter. Uh, uh, Peter was on the roof praying, and he had the vision, and the Lord said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, Go downstairs. There's these men at the door, and they say, Will you come with us? But the, 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 the vision in the vision, Peter said, the voice told Peter, There's going to be some gentlemen at your door. You need to go with them. And he goes with them to a man named Cornelius' home. And Cornelius is like, man, I've just been having this vision, and this is what God is telling me to do. And then it says that Peter prayed with them. They got saved. I don't know if you know the story. Guess what? God was dealing with his heart before a prophet or a preacher ever came. So that's the idea of Missio Dei, the mission of God, the sending of God. One of the implications is that God has always been on a mission to seek, save, and redeem mankind. Even before the church was established, God has always wanted to redeem mankind. Even before the church was launched by Jesus, God had been working through various people in the Old Testament to redeem people to his way of living and moving. And even before we understand who the Lord is or what he's doing, guess what? He's working to win our hearts. So even before you get all cleaned up and supposed to be all that you're supposed to be and all that, God is still drawing you. He's still drawing you. He's still working on you. He's not saying, oh, I'm going to wait until you do this, until I, 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 I just pour out all my love on you. I'm going to wait until you stop cussing before I really touch your heart. Man, it was got real quiet. I guess everybody cusses in here. Uh, he says, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait until you don't do this. I'm going to wait until you're the best father, the best wife, the best husband, the best whatever, until I really bless you. That's hogwash. We can worship Jesus and be drawn to him. And when we do that, he says this. He says, come on, just a little bit at a time. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to use you. Even when you look at this text, you realize that although Jesus is teaching on worship, he's not speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to a Samaritan woman who traditionally wouldn't have been approached by a Jewish man, especially a rabbi. She had been through five husbands. Her present living conditions weren't ideal. And yet Jesus takes time to school her on what worship really is. He shares some powerful points on worship. I want to share a few of them with you. The first thing is this. Look up on the PowerPoint. Uh, he says in verse 22, he says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while the Jews, we Jews know all about him. You know what Jesus said? You know very little. You know very little. If you look at that text in the new NIV, that's what it says. Jesus says, you know very little about the one you worship. You know very little. It's amazing to me how that after years of following Jesus and, live, and living to obey him and to please him, there's still very little that I know, Kirby knows, about what worship really is. 
I wish I could stand before you and say, you know, I have a PhD in biblical worship from whatever. No. Jesus says, you know very little. Hear the Spirit of God saying that today. You know very little. There is a saying that conversion is the miracle of a moment, but spiritual maturity will take a lifetime. As Jesus, by way of the Holy Spirit, teaches us what a heart and life of worship truly looks like, all we have to do is follow and obey him. And as we follow Jesus, what does he do? He changes our hearts. You have to follow Jesus for him to change your heart. You can't get right on your own. We can't do that. We have to follow Jesus. And heart changes are in order. If you look at our society today, you see that we need change hearts we have incredible issues as a, as a nation and as a church. And it's not going to be solved by a particular man or a particular woman or a particular political party. You know what needs to happen? We need our hearts changed. We need to let God dig deep and deal directly. Will you say that? Say dig deep and deal directly. One more time. Dig deep and deal directly. I challenge you to say that five times real fast. <laughs> You'll be speaking in tongues. But that's what we have to do. We have to let the Lord dig deep. Jesus, you know, God was talking to his people and he said, listen, you know, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do all this. He says, but if you ever get off, just do this right here. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. You know what United States need? It doesn't matter who gets in the public office in this election. We need to humble ourselves and men and women need to change their hearts. We need our hearts changed. We need to feel differently about sin. We need to, we need to, we need to confess sin. That word confess in the New Testament means to say about sin what God says about sin. So we don't look at it and say, oh, well, you know what? It's okay. It's all right. This is how I feel. This is what I want to do. No, we need to say, God, I'm struggling. I'm bound, but will you help me, Lord? This is wrong. I'm bound, God. I'm lonely. I'm being drained. Lord, I can't do it on my own, not flaunting in your face like, yeah, this is what I want to do. No, we have to say, God, will you help me? Lord, this is sin. It has me. The key to restoration isn't more knowledge, more resources, or more influence. The key is to have our hearts changed by becoming humble in God's presence. And so Jesus tells this woman you know very little. And that's exactly where we are as a people, as a nation, and as a church sometimes. We know very little. We have a surplus of stuff. We have all kinds of resources. We have all kinds of ways to make money. Of course, in the church, we don't say make money because it sounds too carnal. We say, we're going to build wealth. I will give you the power to build wealth. We the Deuteronomy blessing. That's what we say in the church. You know we do. I will give you the power to make wealth that you may establish my covenant. We say that. No, just say you want to make money. Let's just say that. Stop being deep. Just say that. We say many ways to make money and build wealth. We have all kinds of knowledge on a vast number of subjects, subjects, and we have ways to attain this knowledge via the Internet. But Jesus still says this. You know very little. You know very little. Your heart's are not changed. He desires to change our hearts in this hour, brothers and sisters. 
and I want my heart changed. I want some things in there. And look, it's a, it's a beautiful thing because spiritual maturity will take what? A lifetime. And we'll get there if we just go step by step by step. This is another thing that Jesus says right here. He says, uh, 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 your, your worship has to be spirit-led and truth-driven. This is up on the PowerPoint. Spirit-led and truth-driven. God's spirit shows us how to build our lives based on the truth of his word. And as that happens, our hearts change and worship flows from our lives. Man, when we follow Jesus and we're, we're obeying him and we're doing what he's called us to do, we're worshiping him. Worship is when we obey the Lord. It's not just limited to Sunday morning. Worshiping with uplifted hands is something we do on Sunday mornings, but worship from a changed heart flows Monday through Saturday. Worshiping with uplifted hands is something we do corporately, but worship from a changed heart has to be done individually. God's spirit will lead you into a life of incredible worship. He's trying to get worship to flow from our lives so we can be, as Jesus said, True worshipers. See, true worshipers enjoy benefits that regular church attendees don't. True worshipers taste the unquestionable goodness of the Lord that part-time Christians don't. True worshipers experience breakthrough and success that the idol do not. Jesus is looking for true worshipers. Monday through Monday worshipers. Those who can live a life of worship. You know what a life of worship is? A life of worship is when you sacrifice. When God says, this is my word, you know to obey. And you say, Lord, it's difficult, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Can I tell you, can I even be more real with you? True worship is when the, the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you in the area of physical stewardship. And he says, you know what? You need, to, you need to make a commitment to get back in the gym, Kirby. And I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. And then that alarm clock goes off, and the thought comes to my mind, you need to get up and go to the gym. And I'm like, am I going to worship, or am I just going to stay in the bed? A lot of mornings I just stay in the bed. I don't worship. I'm just being honest. But I'm getting there. See, I want to show you that worship is not just the idea of singing and clapping. Worship is when we sacrifice and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to, I'm going to obey you and obey the leadings that you bring into my life. Can you guys see that? That's worship. That's worship because we were created for God. So why not become a true worshiper? where everything you do is worship to God. Guess what? When I strive to be my best in my career, I'm not doing it for my glory. I'm doing it for his. When I show up to work on time, I'm not doing it so they can pat me on the back. I'm doing it because you know what? I love Jesus and I represent him. I'm an ambassador of Christ. When the lunch break is only one hour and everybody else coming back an hour and five minutes, oh man, it'd be all right, man. And you're like, no, I'm coming back in an hour. Matter of fact, I'm coming back uh, in not 60 minutes, 55 minutes early. Because I heard, I heard, I believe this, the only way to be on time is to be early. Even though I don't always practice that. And Leah and Jeff are looking at me like, uh, are you serious? I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But that's what true worship is. It's living a life where we sacrifice, where we say, Lord, 
I want to honor you because I was created for you. I am an ambassador of who you are, and I want to worship you. When we love and forgive in relationships that God has placed around us, that's worship. When we sacrifice and give to others to improve their quality of life, that's worship. Once again, worship is not just done on Sunday mornings while we sing. It's much larger than that. True worship. God-led worship happens Monday through Saturday behind the walls of our homes, within the infrastructures of our careers, and on the streets of our community. And there's a scripture that gives a a beautiful picture of this. I want to read it for you. I think it's up on a PowerPoint. Luke 7, verse 37 and 38. It says this, a woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. After a brief conversation with somebody else that was present, Jesus shared these words with this lady. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. (laughs) Allow me to remind you of Christ's words, not Christ's words, I'm sorry, of these words in our opening passage. Remember, it's, just, it's not up on a PowerPoint, but just listen. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people that the Father is looking out for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, and in adoration. So in comes this woman while Jesus is having dinner, and she stands behind behind him, begins to weep and crying and worship him and wipe his feet with her hair and her tears. She lived out her worship in public view. She was honestly being herself. She didn't wait till the Sunday morning synagogue service where she can dress up and look all nice and their nice little church hat and their high heels and come in there. No, she said, right now, I got to worship him. I got to run in here now while he's eating dinner. I got to get here while he's with his disciples. I don't care because I want to worship him. I want to get in his presence. I want my heart to be free. I'm tired of this unforgiveness binding me. I'm tired of these thoughts robbing me of my peace. I'm tired of this. I want to worship him now. My spirit is drawing me to the truth of who he is, and I have to worship now. It's not just on Sunday. I have to worship now. She was honestly being herself. They knew who she was. They knew what she did. This was her true self, as if she was saying, Jesus, this is who I am. This is my true heart, but I'll give it to you, Lord. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I won't try to clean up in front and be somebody that I'm not. I'll give it to you, God. I'm struggling. But, Jesus, I worship you right now, and I love you. And what happened after she said that? Your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do we just want to kind of worship on Sunday morning and look good for man? They say, oh, you seen sister so-and-so today? Woo, she was shouting up in there. You have your reward. That's your reward. But when we worship in spirit and in truth, Jesus says, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. Which one do you want? Finally, Jesus shares this right here. This is up on a PowerPoint. This is the last one. 
Jesus says God is looking for true worshipers. Can I tell you that God is interested in those who will yield to him from a place of radical authenticity? Radical authenticity. And can I tell you that be who God has created you to be? Don't be ashamed to be who God has called you to be. Don't be ashamed to say, Lord, in my heart, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I believe you're calling me to do based on your word. Don't be ashamed of that. Be radically authentic. Those who will pursue him with reckless abandon while extending their hearts to Jesus, he will bless. And Jesus said the father was seeking or looking for those who would worship him with everything. Now, I want you to think about something for a minute. This was a very radical concept. A rabbi communicating the idea that God is looking for me. Jewish people were used to being enslaved. They were enslaved by the Romans politically. And then they were enslaved religiously by the Pharisees who told them how to believe and told them what to believe. And so here's this rabbi saying, no, 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 no. God is looking for you. If you'll worship him, this was a very radical idea. And I wonder they didn't like Jesus. He would say things like that. Isn't it a great feeling to know that somebody is looking for you for something good? See, if you're still alive, I want you to know God is looking for you, but it's for good things. It's not judgment. It's not judgment. You might feel, oh, I can't. God is going to judge me. He's going to get me. If God wanted to judge you, you would have been God. God is tougher than the mafia. You're like, oh, they're going to get me. They might put a car bomb. No, God, God is tougher than that. If he want to get you, you would have been God. Right now, God is looking for you for good things. Can you imagine if, if, if Bill Gates just walked in here and he said, yeah, I'm looking for Mike or I'm looking for Cynthia. I got something for him. <laughs> and then imagine if they did this, they walked in and said, I'm looking for Cynthia. And they put out his checkbook. I got to give her this check. You're like, oh, 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 right here, right here. Close that door. Do not let him out. Until you give me that check. Guess what? God is looking for us to give us something good. He has more resources than Bill Gates. He has more love, more acceptance, more affirmation. He's looking for us. And he's trying to call the worshiper out of us by developing a heart of worship within us. So God is looking for you. God is looking for you so he can teach you life's real purpose, so he can remove the guilt and stain of shame from your life, so he can give you direction, so he can heal the broken areas, so he can give you overwhelming victory. So he can open doors that you never thought imaginable so he can lead you home to a place that he's preparing for his beloved. And so it's time for us to go deeper in our worship to the Lord. It's time for you to let God change your heart. I know you have some hurts. I know you're struggling with believing. I know that it's difficult, but it's time for you to let God change your heart. It's time for you to start to pray, God, give me a heart of faith. Give me a heart of faith, Lord. Help me to see it when no one else sees it, Lord God. Help me to see through the eyes of faith, God. Help me to be strong and courageous. It's time for us to humble ourselves and to become teachable and to trust God's process. It's time to let God use us. It's time to stop letting or it's time to stop fighting with him. It's time to become true worshipers. And as we close today, I want to share with you a story that beautifully parallels what I've shared today. This is a brief story that I found a couple of years ago. I think it's so cool. 
One day, a young man was standing in the middle of the town proclaiming that he had the most beautiful heart in the whole valley. A large crowd gathered, and they all admired his heart, for it was perfect. There was not a mark or a flaw in it. Yes, they all agreed it truly was the most beautiful heart they had ever seen. The young man was very proud and boasted more loudly about his beautiful heart. Suddenly, an old man appeared at the front of the crowd and said, well, your heart is not nearly as beautiful as mine. The crowd and the young man looked at the old man's heart. It was beating strongly, but full of scars. It had places where pieces had been removed and other pieces put in, but they didn't fight. They didn't they didn't fit quite right. And there were several jagged edges. In fact, in some places, there were deep gouges where whole pieces were missing. The people stared. How can he say his heart is more beautiful? They thought the young man looked at the old man's heart and saw it stayed and laughed. Ha! You must be joking, he said. Compare your heart with mine. Mine is perfect, and yours is a mess of scars and tears. Yes, the old man said, yours is perfect looking, but I would never trade it with you. I would never trade with you. You see, every scar represents a person to whom I have given my love. I tear out a piece of my heart and give it to them, and often they give me a piece of their heart which fits into the empty place in my heart. But because the pieces aren't exact, I have some rough edges, which I cherish because they remind me of the love we shared. Sometimes I've given pieces of my heart away and the other person hasn't returned a piece of his or her heart to me. These are the empty gouges. Giving love is taking a chance, young man. Although these gouges are painful, they stay open, reminding me of the love I have for those people, too. And I hope someday they may return and fill the space I have waiting. So now do you see what true beauty is? The young man stood silently with tears running down his cheeks. He walked up to the old man and reached into his perfect, young, and beautiful heart and ripped the piece out of it. And that's kind of freaky sounding, doesn't it, son? <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Here you go. Okay. I have ADHD, so sometimes my mind is kind of. <laughs> he offered it to the old man with trembling hands. The old man took his offering, placed it in his heart, and then took a piece from his old scarred heart and placed it in the wound in the young man's heart. It fit, but not perfectly, as there were some jagged edges. The young man looked at his heart, not perfect anymore, but more beautiful than ever, since love from the old man's heart flowed into his. They embraced and walked away side by side. The reason I shared that story with you is because take off your theological hats for a moment, okay? That's not in the Bible. <laughs> probably thinking, what, what scriptures backs up that story he just read? Well, none, probably. I could try and make some fit, but I won't do that. The point of it is this right here. Jesus when we walk with him, removes the painful, jagged edges of our own hearts, where we've been hurt, where we've been disappointed, where people have torn out and gouged them, as this man shared. But there's beauty in that. You know why? Because we find a Savior that walks with us, that's ever-present, 
and he changes our hearts. So no matter where you are today, I want to encourage you that Jesus is here. He's present for you. He's present for me. And he wants to give you and I his heart. He wants to build us up. He wants to, he wants to take of himself and give it to us. And he does so by his Holy Spirit. And so will you allow me to pray with you? I just want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. And Jesus, we thank you that you change our hearts. We thank you that, Lord, you love us. We thank you that you love us too much to leave us the same. And so we thank you, Lord. And I pray that today you would place your finger on those areas of our hearts and our lives where you're calling us to change, where you're calling us to surrender. Help us, Lord, to truly be able to sing, I surrender all, not I surrender all most. Lord, we want to give everything to you. And I pray, God, would you give us the grace, the grace, Lord Jesus, the grace, God, to give up these things that hold our hearts captive, God, old memories, Lord God, opinions that don't line up with your word. Father God, faithless ideas, whatever it is, God, I'm asking, Lord, we ask, we cry out to you and say, Jesus, Take these things out of our hearts. Lord, where people have hurt us, Lord, where they've hurt us, where we've, we've loved them and they've hurt us, God, and been so wretched. Lord, we thank you that you'll minister to us. You said you would never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we bless your name. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.